Welcome back to another episode of Dog Backwards, where we look at life, faith, and theology from a different angle. We got a great one. Robert Stanley of the Right to Reason podcast, which is an atheist podcast, is going to be on today. We're going to ask about why he left Christianity. He's a former Christian, and I hear a lot of stories about people leaving atheism to become Christians. I wanted to hear about a Christian who left to become an atheist and see if his reasons were valid. So we have a good talk, and it's very kind and compassionate, and we give each other time to speak, and we don't shout over each other, because you can talk about difficult things in a rational way. My big takeaway from this, because we're going to talk about free will and faith and miracles, it's a great conversation, but my big takeaway was this, and see if you agree. Message me, you can contact me, calebmore.tv, or find me on Facebook, whatever, but from what I learned from this, and it's kind of what I already thought, atheism looks really deep on the surface, but as you dig in, you realize how shallow it is. On the flip side, Christianity can look shallow on the surface. But as I dig in and the more I grow and the more I learn, the deeper my faith and my understanding. It just engages my whole self, my mind, my passions, my love. I, it just engages everything. And so I think you'll enjoy this one. Let's cue the music and then we'll hop right in. I want to take just a second to welcome back Robert Stanley. Uh, Robert, there is no better way to say that you appreciate somebody than to give them your time. So I take this time that you would donate to have a conversation with me very seriously. So thank you uh, for coming on the podcast. And this is our second time to talk. And I really enjoyed the last conversation we had. And uh, Robert, for those of you who don't know, you host the Right to Reason podcast and also have a YouTube channel. That's right. And my time's not that valuable. So, <laughs> right. So. <laughs> right. Sure it is. It's, but I'm happy to be here. Actually, a, I guess my, my time would be more valuable than yours. Yeah. Being that that you believe you're going to live forever. Right, but. right. Yeah. Yeah. Yours, yours should be more valuable than mine. It should be, you would think. Right. <laughs> so uh, Robert is not a believer, but used to be. And I told him I wanted to have him back on because the last time we talked, we didn't get to hear too much of his story. I hear a lot of stories about people who are entering into the faith. As a preacher, of course, those are the most of the conversations I have with somebody who's curious about spirituality and wants to talk about God and things like that. But I don't get the chance as much as I used to or as much as I would even like to to talk to people who have left the faith. And so as somebody who's just a curious person and values these kind of conversations i wanted to kind of hear your story and what you went through and maybe what we can learn about the human condition from your story um so i grew up in a preacher's house uh brother went to bob jones just like my mom and dad did became a preacher uh, i eventually went there uh, to become a preacher myself got a little upset uh right around 9 11 got a little confused, um, and moved to Texas. And I, I always questioned my faith, but I, I was very faithful, you know, but, but I had, I did have some doubts, um, throughout my whole childhood, but it was right around the time my daughter turned five 
that I remember thinking, oh no, you know, this is this is right around the time I accepted Christ as my personal savior, and uh, this is kind of the time that, at least with fundamentalists, where where I come from, uh, that's right around the time that you start talking to your kids about about accepting Christ and, and into their heart. And I thought, well, I, b- I better get on this, you know, because we go to church off and on, lukewarm Christian, you know, at that point. Yeah. But I wasn't real real serious about it then. Um, you know, I guess late, yeah, late twenties. And I thought, uh, boy, I better, I better get her saved or else, you know, what if she died in a car accident? You know, most terrifying thought a, a parent could, could right. imagine yeah. is their child, not just that their child would die, but their child would die and then would be tortured for eternity. Cause I, I came from that kind of very evangelical, you know, fire and brimstone, gnashing right. of teeth, worms eating flesh, what have you kind of, kind of reality of hell. So, uh, I got I got pretty pretty nervous uh, about the whole concept, the whole idea. It just it never hit me that strongly before, and I thought it's it's my job to take care of this little one, you know. Yeah. So I better I better get this get this going, and then it just hit me. It hit me like a like a like a brick wall. I thought, wait a minute, why am I worshiping the guy that would do that? Right. You know, even if you say, well, it's it's her free will, it's her responsibility, or blah 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 blah. It doesn't matter what she did. I wouldn't burn her. I thought, hold on, this whole omnibenevolent side of God, that part can't be true if hell exists. Um, and then all the other things started just chipping away after that. But that's that's pretty much the the so when you Digest say short when you say fundamentalist, what do, what do you mean by that? Because that sometimes that's like a broad term and. Mm-hmm. Some people might call them fundamentalists. Uh, like when I think of fundamentalist, my mind goes more to like Westboro Baptist or... Oh, no, not that bad. <laughs> uh, that's like the far, far... I don't even know. I wouldn't even call them fundamentalists. That's more of just like a crazy cult. Uh, yeah. Um, but... Um, pretty much your... It's like holiness? Your was it, was it holiness by any means? No, independent Baptist. Okay, independent Baptist. All right. Like William Lane Craig, you think he's fundamentalist? Yeah, I, I would say similar to his kind of stuff or um, uh, Frank Turek, you know, those those kind of guys. Very, I would say very mainstream Christian background. Okay, because when I think fundamentalist, and I'm I'm mainstream, like I like William Lane Craig. Uh, Frank Turek's okay. I I don't know much of his stuff. Um, I know William Lane Craig stuff much more. That is, like for me, in the way that we kind of, typically the people I'm around and most Christians I know, would never classify them as fundamentalist. When oh, really? I When I think fundamentalist, uh, I'm, I'm having to do some counseling. There's a mother who is, um, there's a church not too far from mine that's a apostolic church, apostolic holiness. I don't know, are you familiar with that at all? Not really. No, I've, I've heard the term, but I've, so I there's this there's this new branch. I say it's new. It's probably been around 20, 30 years, and it, it's a it comes out of the charismatic movement where these people claim to have apostolic powers, kind of like Benny Hinn ish stuff. Oh, and okay. so it's this weird mix of holiness and Pentecostal, but they all wear long sleeves. The guys do, uh, even like if they're mowing the yard, they have to wear long sleeves. Um, the mom was looking for a youth group to put her kids in. She didn't really check the church out and the kids got like started changing the way they dressed and they, the pastor is encouraging the 19 year old son to marry some 
32-year-old woman. Like, the women yeah. all wear really long hair, you know, like the holiness style. And so, so I'm trying to, um, like, I, we call them a cult. We would call that very cultish. Yeah. Uh, it's all about what their apostle, because he, you know, he's got this apostolic authority, so he can tell them how to dress, even if it doesn't matter if it's in the Bible or anything. He speaks as an apostle. It's like Apostle Paul or even Jesus himself was there. So wow. I'm trying to help. Like a Mormon. Yeah, in, in some ways. I'm trying to help them walk through that, especially the mom. And because if the kids are in there, very little that I could say is going to help, but um, maybe just help the mom um, be patient. Um, that's what we would call a fundamentalist. So when you say fundamentalist, I usually think now. I think we're close to the same age. I'm 41. 37. 37, yeah. So even growing up in the church, I saw a little bit of hellfire brimstone, but very, very little. And hmm. I, I hear people sometimes like, we're not one of those hellfire brimstone preachers. I was like, I don't remember the last time I've heard one of those guys. So maybe it's just a different circle that we kind of yeah. grew up in. Um was it was it really like was it really fear and hell every Sunday morning like turn or burn no. fly or fry? Um, my it was you know it was mostly my dad preaching growing up. But you know if, if we'd have uh, an evangelist or something, of course then you're going to hear a lot of that. You know, little Timmy, you know, ran off with S Sally and smoked marijuana, and now they're in hell. Kind of those kind of <laughs> stories, you know. But yeah, yeah. Uh, my my dad's preaching wasn't mostly like that. I, I went to a Christian school and and then. Uh, in high school and then a Christian university after that. And none of them really focus on the hell heaven messages as much as, as I, as one might think. Right. Um, because they really, they, the carrot and stick analogy is so obvious that I think whenever you're, you're a preacher, now I can't speak for you, but at least, at least the background I came from, you, you know it's real obvious, so you try to avoid that. You know that's that's my like theory, avoid avoid the the carrot yeah, the stick whole, the whole or message the of hell. It's a whole message of like it's there. Yeah. It's always in the background, but you want to keep it subtle because if anybody thinks about it for more than two seconds, that is the most important thing ever. It doesn't. I mean, your, yeah. your relationship yeah. with Christ pales in comparison. You know, or or whether uh, he he heals your cancer or helps you with your bills or anything like there is nothing that matters. You know, the America's on fire, you know, like it, who cares at that point if hell exists, it is the most terrifying concept and it happens for all of eternity. And it's happened to the majority of people uh, that exist and have ever existed. They're still there and they always will be. It is the most terrifying concept ever, and and it is it is weird to me that it's not talked about as much with within fundamentalism, um, because there's there's really nothing else that matters in I, the entire I wish, world. Yeah, I wish people would actually talk about hell more. Um, so at, at our church, we just work through like a book of the Bible at a time, and there's mm -hmm. a thing that I say every Sunday morning. And it's that we work through a book of the Bible at a time so we can't skip the hard stuff, and there's lots of hard stuff. I say that every single Sunday morning. That's just part of our mantra as we get started. Like, we're sure. not going to skip stuff, things that are hard. And I would say a big aspect of my faith journey in the last, uh, 
five years or so has been looking at that question of hell. And it's helped me kind of begin to see and unpack maybe why people just believe what they believe in the first place. And oftentimes when I talk to somebody who is a, a non-believer, an atheist, do you call yourself an atheist or agnostic? Um, I, I recognize there's a lot of semantic around that term. I do call myself an atheist simply because most people aren't as familiar with all the nuances of what that word could mean right. like you are. So right. you just say that and, and they're like, so what? You think it's all just the light switch goes out when you die? And yeah, pretty much. That's usually what they, they go to first. They, oh, you don't believe in God? No. It's pretty simple. But as far as to be real specific, you know, to, it would be agnostic atheist, I guess. Okay. Okay. Because a lot of times what I, like I'll talk to somebody who is an atheist and like, I used to be a believer. I'm like, well, what, what was your understanding of Christianity? What was your view of it? What did you learn? And they're like, well, I went to Catholic school and I was like, well, yeah, okay. So if I had grown up in Catholic school, I'd probably be an atheist as well. Or if I grew <laughs> up in like one of these really, really strict, now my dad was a preacher too. And so that's interesting what we have in common. Uh, my brother, he went to a Baptist university. Um, I went to peyote. Uh, so we went kind of different ways <laughs> and I'm, I came back, my brother, you know, he has his beliefs. He can speak on his own behalf. I never want to talk about his beliefs. He's free to talk about them on his own. But um, my dad is a very strong believer. In fact, um, he's one of the reasons I came back to the faith. But does your brother and father, do they, you have a good relationship with them? Do, do yeah. they still believe? Yep. Um, every, everybody in my family is a believer. My sister went Catholic for a little while. She likes to, she's one of those hop around Christians, you know? And, uh, I, I think it disappointed my parents even more when she went Catholic than when I went atheist, ironically. Yeah. Cause you come but, back from atheism, but you never yeah. come back from Catholicism. <laughs> it's just such an offensive thing to Baptist. Yeah, once you go to... Pope, everybody says, nope. Yeah. It's yeah. Just... <laughs> but, um, but yeah, she, she's more just spiritual, but my, my, Brother, dad, mom, they're all they're all still in the faith, very uh very uh, religiously. Is this are is like every Thanksgiving and Christmas are the conversations geared towards faith or yes. is it past that stage now? Um yeah, if if we get together, that's definitely everybody knows that's gonna come up. Yeah. Um it seems that politics seem to be the thing that's more <laughs> of a threat to yeah. a peaceful dinner than than religion yeah. at this because after i became an i was very conservative and then when i became an atheist i, I became very liberal right. uh, funny how that happens but, yeah but uh but i i probably talk to my dad uh every other day maybe that's every good. day that's good uh and we we argue about religion constantly yeah. which you know he would he would take offense to me even saying that because he would say i don't have a religion i have a relationship but right you know yeah, it's but it's enjoyable. It's respectful. That's good because it's yeah. always a shame when somebody disagrees with their family on religious uh, ideas, and that destroys the whole family. So your father at least is doing the right thing and hasn't like because sometimes they'll be like, and Christians just shun their children who don't believe. I'm mm -hmm. like, I don't really. That's not my experience, and I hope it's not the experience of very many people. Though I'm sure it does happen, but. Like I was talking about, I often meet people who were, went to Catholic school, or they would say they were a part of a fundamentalist uh, group, and I see kind of like this horseshoe effect, 
where they yes. never stop being fundamentalist. It just swings to the other side. Do you, does that yes. make sense? Yeah. That happens with atheism a lot. And I, I noticed that, uh, that they'll also go very cancel culture, very social justice warrior, very, um, um, you know, very active on, on Twitter and Facebook and, and, and very critical of one another. And it's almost like that same, uh, judgmental kind of background that they came from. I'm not saying that's yeah. necessarily yours, but you know, that goes they... to the angry atheist. Yes. Um, yeah. It's <laughs> so like you so. were an angry Christian and now you're just an angry atheist. And I don't, when I see that, I, I don't think somebody's looking for truth. Mm-hmm. It, it, it seems um, from from what I've been experiencing, and I'll, maybe I'll get into this here in a little bit, but um, the generation you and I grew up in, I'm not sure how much Christianity we were given. I think we were given a lot of Christian culture. And it's very easy for people who were just given a culture to adapt a new culture. And so they go off to college and they, oh, I, I lost my faith. Like, well, you lost your Christian culture and you were no longer in that environment, so you just adapted to the new environment that you were in. Um, and so I, I don't necess- a lot of times I don't they, people say they left their faith, and I'm like, ah, oh, you left your parents' faith. You didn't really have a faith of your own. But do you feel like you really had your own faith and understood it and believed it and had real emotional resonance with it? But you also say you were always questioning. So what kind of if it's okay to ask like what kind of christian do you feel like you were at those times um i don't i don't think i was if if there is such thing as a a real christian meaning that jesus christ really existed and you were really are following uh a living and you know incarnate god kind of scenario if that if that did exist let's say hypothetically right um i don't think i've ever met one to oh, be really? honest. Yeah. I mean, the way the way I, I look at the Bible now is so different from the way I looked at it when I was a Christian, because it was just this combination of um, patriotism and, you know, John Wayne and Ronald Reagan and, you know what I mean? George Washington yeah, we, and, and Western civilization. We are philosophy. children of the 80s. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's like, I don't I don't see any of that in the Gospels and in, in the Sermon on the Mount. I don't see anything about. Uh, being concerned with your your country or uh, immigration policies or who's running for president or you know what I mean uh, any of those things uh, abortion laws uh, it, none of that was in there it was it was all just very uh, short term thinking um, don't worry about today if you are going to think about anything or, or be concerned about anything be concerned about the least among you. Uh, I, just, I can't see Jesus Christ being a middle class white patriot. Guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, maybe, maybe a light skin. Yeah. Too, um, <laughs> I just I, I don't I don't think I've ever really met one if there is such a thing as a real Christian, to be honest. And and I I don't say that meaning any offense no, to you or your I, like I'm grinning from ear to ear. I know you can't see me, but I'm like, because uh, that sounds like something I would say on a Sunday morning. <laughs> uh, I, I try not to, nobody knows who I vote for. I don't ever talk about um, politics from the pulpit. That's not the place for it. Um, my church doesn't know, you know, whether I'm, I say I'm a theocratic libertarian, um, and that's partly joking, partly true. Mm-hmm. But um, the whole evangelical movement, uh, 
has just prostituted the Bible. Um, yes. And so when you say you're like, yeah, I what you grew up with this this merge of um, patriotism and the Bible, and God is an American, and Jesus would have loved the <laughs> Dallas Cowboys, you know? Yeah. Um, he shops at Gap. I like I get it, and I. I know what you're talking about. I also think that sometimes when we, that that moment that we leave, that group that we were a part of when we left is seared into our memory. And then we begin to think that is still what's going on. But when I look at some of the most, um, I don't want to say powerful, but influential uh, scholars and teachers there's a guy I really like named Preston Sprinkle, uh, who's got a really good podcast um, called Theology in the Raw. He would what a dorky s- name, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's uh, so it's like, how can you win if your last name is Sprinkle? You're like, you're not going to get very far. You better be smart, and he is. Yeah, that's that's why he became a that's, genius. That's why I became smart. He had to. But he would say the exact same thing, and he's a pacifist. Him and I are both annihilationist that we don't believe hell is forever and that has nothing to do with any kind of cultural change as our church is a reformed baptist church which just means we're a part of a generation your generation that got tired of all the traditions and all this evangelical we got tired of it all but instead of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, we kind of started to go back and go, look, none of us look like what this book says. How can we do yes. better? And so that's where we, I think there are, I think Christianity does have built within it some self-correcting measures. Um, it always goes through, even in the New Testament, it's, it gets off track really easily. And I've been reading church history lately. And uh, after um, the persecution of Christians ended and it began to be like cool, the Christians who had endured this just terrible, you know, half their family was murdered for being a Christian. They looked at this new group and called them half-saved pagans because they brought so much of their culture into this faith that it essentially neutered the faith. And I think we're in kind of this backswing of correction a little bit Mm -hmm. where I don't think hell is forever because I read the Old Testament and the Old Testament doesn't say that. And as I began to use the Old Testament to help me understand the New, I go, oh, the New Testament doesn't say that either. And I can be, I feel like I'm more faithful to Scripture, and I didn't have to do any kind of like fancy hermeneutic tricks to get there. Yeah. Uh, I had to, but it was one of those things you just always been taught, that hell is forever. And then I learned that nobody thought hell was forever until Plato comes along, and he says the soul by nature is eternal. And Augustine was living in a world where Plato's worldview was, you know, that was his culture. So if you just, if you start with the presupposition that the soul by nature is eternal, then you're going to assume hell is eternal. And that's what Augustine taught. Well, Augustine kind of was very influential, even though there was other people at the time who disagreed with him. He became highly influential and the church still is trying to undo the effects of certain presuppositions taught by Plato. So I think we're always in this process of trying to remove any kind of cultural lens we might have when we look at things and to see them at their most raw. Does that make sense? 
That makes perfect sense. Yeah. That's fascinating. So, so we just uh, we cease to exist uh, if if we didn't accept Christ as our Savior. Yeah, I would say the time fits the crime. So, uh, especially <laughs> like my my five. I think it reflects our legal system. I think that's one of the ways that we got our, our legal system. The greatest punishment you can give somebody is the death penalty, right? Like that is the worst punishment that we have. And so that kind of plays into they are annihilated. They just cease to exist. That, yeah, that's not so bad. Yeah. Uh, so I don't necessarily the people burn forever because to me it doesn't make logical sense either. No, that if somebody it. was to commit a... The example I've used is what if there is a 16-year-old girl leaving a mosque and she is hit by a car and yeah. she's never heard about Jesus. Is that, is that little girl, or f- for the 16 years she was alive, is she going to burn for all eternity? Now, yeah. the, the emotional argument is only good if it takes you deeper. If we stop at an emotional mm-hmm. argument, then I don't think we do a good service to people. But I think as we begin to look at that, we go, oh, the Bible didn't teach that anyways. My, I have one child who's over five, and I haven't like, oh, I better have the conversation with him now. Because if something was to happen, I don't know where we'd go. I don't know what age of accountability or age cutoff there is. But I also know that my son doesn't understand enough yet to be held. You know, this is why we don't put minors in life for prison for doing something at seven years old. Because we understand that. And I think if we understand that, God understands that even far better than we do. You got to wonder, though, if those other people, those evangelicals that, that believe in eternal damnation and, you know, 16 year old Muslim girl going to hell kind of scenario. It's almost like they have a stronger faith than you do because they can believe something that contradicts itself that a loving God would do that. You know, like they, they just, they just go head over heels into it. Well, uh, even though it, it's, it's that's like saying that uh, a flat earther has a stronger yeah. faith <laughs> than me. Like, I don't know if that's, I don't know if strong, I'm like a more ignorant faith, you know? Yeah. A, a less more, thought a, through. Like, look, most more people. blind faith, maybe. Yeah. Most people, Robert, aren't going to think through these questions very deeply. A, yeah. we just don't, a lot of people don't even have the luxury for time. I think one of the reasons we see a rise in atheism uh, is because of all the great things that this world has given us so far, as far as technology and stuff. We're not hunter gatherers. You don't have time to think about, you know, all this stuff while you're trying to keep the farm going. And now really? we kind of have this luxury of time. So that might, I don't, that might play into it a little bit. Is that was that tongue in cheek, or do you do you really think that the typical atheist? And believe me, I'm the last person to defend atheists. I don't I don't get along very well with many of them. But do you, do you actually believe that the typical atheist isn't thinking these things a little bit deeper than the typical? Sunday morning Christian? Mm, no, and that just comes from personal experience. Um, yeah. I've talked to people. Uh, there's one that comes to mind, and I was trying to talk to him about that. He's like, I don't believe any of that stuff. I said, why? And they go, that stuff just doesn't interest me. And <laughs> it's more as like just spiritual stuff. I, I just don't care. I mean, we Newtonian have... physics doesn't interest me, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. We just have... in. There's a generation that's indifferent, right? Yeah to everything. They're just indifferent. And 
there some people are starting to find like oh now they care about politics and they go a little overboard but um we don't we don't have these deep good conversations about this stuff anymore i think people have been made scared in some ways like it's politics almost like people are really afraid to talk about faith of any kind so either you're a christian or you're an atheist and those are the easiest go-to just to get people to leave you alone and go away Hmm. interesting no i've i've I found in at least my personal experience that it's, I mean, you got to think Christianity is the common religion in the U.S. Maybe not the right one. You know what I mean? Maybe maybe they don't have the right denomination or what have you. But that's that's the common theme. So even even if you grew up without thinking about anything, you're going to be a Christian. You know, maybe once again, maybe not the right kind, but but you're going to be something similar to uh the, think, that yeah. faith you're going to believe in the bible at least and and, and in jesus and don't and you the, think people just use that word like they would say they're american also like it's yeah, just it's, what it's, they were born into culture. yeah yeah so i mean i would I, I say all that to say not that atheists are smarter or high, right. higher iqs but just the fact that they are not the 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 original you know not the not the common cultural theme of this this country that we live in by that alone, they, they have rejected something, which makes me think that it's just it would be more likely that they would um, they, they would be a little more complex than your common Christian would. I would assume there's but, a, they, they might have they might have um, they might be more likely to watch like a debate online or something sure. like that. They might be more and I'll give you that. Um, but uh I had somebody once tell me, like, we were talking about some subject, and they're like, well, I've thought about this for a really long time. And it wasn't a faith subject, but mm. they were obviously just, like, wrong. And I was like, it doesn't matter if you've thought about it longer <laughs> if you That's think true. about it poorly. And I've come here lately where I used to, I used to do a lot of atheist conversation. I just don't do them much anymore. It's, it's kind of stopped being interesting you're you're interesting to me, but oh, like the cool. Richard Dawkins people, um, those who were big fans of Hitchens and all that stuff, that's become really uninteresting. Best just because it, the amount of time thinking poorly, yes, is, is just frustrating me. Like Dawkins' latest, I don't know if it's his latest book on free will, and I have a real hard. It's in my mind... And, I didn't know Dawkins... Oh, you mean Harris? Uh, yeah, Harris. Um, yeah. His book on free will. No, not Sam Harris. It was uh, it was Dawkins. Yeah. No, oh, Dawkins okay. has a newer book on free will. I didn't know that. Uh, I'll, I'll yeah. check that out. And he's, you know, a determinist now, like which he has been, I think, for a while. But he wrote a book, How Free Will is an Illusion. But he calls it a useful illusion, and he likes it. And to me, this yeah. falls uh, not... I'm glad no flat earthers listen to the podcast because I'm just bashed <laughs> on them all the time. But it's a good example. To me, it's that level of thinking. Like, so you're telling me you chose to write a book and now you're choosing to be on this broadcast and you're choosing how to spend the money. But your whole book is about how you don't choose anything. But I can go through your right. whole career where you're trying to get people to leave Christianity and join atheism as though they have a choice. So it it's... It's like what it's a religious hypocrite. <laughs> you know, it's mm -hmm. like you're saying one thing and you're living your life one way, but then you, they don't match up at all. So uh, that level of stuff. Are you a determinist? Where do you fall in line with that? I don't. Yeah. But once again, that you know all the all the semantics around that word determinist. But 
on the on the surface of just what that word represents, I would I would fall in that category. But to to be clear, um, I you know once again I don't know, man. <laughs> you know this stuff's way too way too complicated for me to understand ultimately. But I I would say I think I think I have a will. I don't think my will is free. Um, so in that sense, no, I don't have free will. But uh, was I looking forward to talking to Pastor Moore today? Yes. Uh, did I choose to put the microphone in front of my face? Did I, you know, uh, uh, choose to call you or answer your call or whatever? Yes. Um, was that a free choice that I made? I don't think so. <laughs> I, I really don't. You're, I, I don't you're think. Killing me. I, I, killing me. Yeah. I know. It's it's it seems like crazy talk, but I'm I'm more than happy to. I know, but then you get mad at us for the Trinity. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, well, that's just so, nuts. Like, I know. So, everything came from nothing, and we had no choice about it. I, anyway, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, please please challenge this because I I've I never can't. heard a good uh, a good explanation for why we have free will. To be honest, and I'm. I would like to believe it. <laughs> like, I, uh, it's it's not it's not a very comforting place to be, uh, to be a an atheist determinist. You know, like there's just deep down, you know, nothing means anything, and there's no value. And you look at your your child's face, and you just love them so much, and then you think this face doesn't matter. Ultimately, like it, like it, you know, it it your, messes with your love them. for your child isn't really love. It would just be. A chemical yeah. reaction passed on by your DNA so that you would protect this human until they're old enough to leave mm -hmm. the nest. And so exactly. this is, I mean... It, it makes everything feel a little stale. I mean, life nihilism. still goes on. Yeah, it's nihilism. Yes. I, I, would, I would go a step further and do the, the Albert Camus uh, absurdism yes. where he yeah. kind of argued, yeah, there, th this does have no value, but... The significance of your life is like Sisyphus rolling that rock up that mountain. Ultimately, it means nothing. The rock's going to fall back down. He's going to have to roll it back up again for eternity. Um, you don't even get that. You don't even get eternity. But but she's still rolling the rock up, even though it's insignificant, is what life is. And it's absurd, but let's love every minute of it. And that's that's kind of closer to where I would be. But it's not necessarily where I want to be. I'm not I'm not happy with my conclusion. I, yeah, uh, I, you don't meet very many uh, happy nihilists. <laughs> you know, it would be really right. hard to maintain some sense of awe and wonder and beauty and love if every morning the person that you decided to commit your life to, you woke up and you go, why did I make this decision? My DNA tells me to propagate my seed with as many as possible. Why would mm -hmm. I make this commitment, especially on the days that it's difficult? So this is where I would like... If I was to challenge this, I, I'm not some kind of philosopher who can sure. argue determinism. I would just say, wouldn't the, I hate this phrase, lived experience, wouldn't the um, just absurdity of the very position that you stated, the fact that you possibly did not even choose to answer this phone call that means you didn't choose to be an atheist and your dad doesn't choose to be a Christian. You didn't mm -hmm. choose any of this. Doesn't that go contrary to the fact that you, as a human being, make individual rational? I mean, your, your podcast is uh, the right to reason. But mm -hmm. if determinism is true, you have no inalienable rights, you have no real rights, and reason doesn't actually exist. So 
it seems like a self-defeating argument to me. I don't know how to defeat a horse that's already dead. Right, right. Um, I wouldn't say argument from intuition would be helpful because where you say, doesn't that just seem crazy to you? Like uh, all the coolest stuff about science that you and I like uh, are awesome because they're not intuitive to us, you know, black holes and dark matter and, and you know, uh, uh, string theory, which I, I don't understand. But yeah, all, all that cool stuff, none of that's intuitive. And, and the very large or the very small or the infinite, these are not really concepts that we can understand. We can, we can reference them philosophically and conceptually, but um, we can't get it. So like the fact that, that it just doesn't seem true. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't find that to be very, um, I don't know. Right. I think very tempting. Yeah. I just think it's, I think libertarian free will has much better explanation. Um, that's what's the word I'm looking for. Explanatory. Explanatory, yeah. explanatory power. I think sure. that has, it makes much more sense of the world that we live in. Than okay. Let's, Let's let's take a scenario. Um, how about this one? How about this one? We'll, we'll do the old uh, the old Sam Harris one, who I thought you were referencing earlier. But um, the uh, think of a city in your head, just anyone. Mm-hmm. Which one popped in there? Dallas. Dallas. Okay. So you believe you chose that, but in reality, we can we can break it down and say with. First off, you couldn't have named a city you didn't know of. So you didn't have free. Yeah. Well, you know, let's say there's a city named, uh, I don't know, Powell City. I'm sure there's one somewhere named that, but uh, but you didn't know about it. So you couldn't have chose Powell. You did not have free will to choose that, at least. And then you have to think, uh, it had to be a city probably that was just popping in your head from the ether from wherever it comes from, maybe a spirit or maybe just random firings of the brain. Um, but it had to be a, a city that was available in your brain at that moment. You didn't have free will to choose Cairo because Cairo didn't happen to pop in your head. Now you knew about Cairo, but you couldn't have chosen Cairo because that wasn't even there in your brain at that time or wherever your, you know, we're going to say your consciousness is right. And then, Dallas, I'm guessing there was a reason you chose it, or else you wouldn't have chose it. So is that is it just that that's a, a city I, I nearby? Was, I was born not too far outside of Dallas, and my brother lives near that area. So as I think of a city, uh, my brain went to Dallas. But you didn't choose to be born there, and you didn't choose that your brother would live there. But the two reasons that you chose Dallas are things that are beyond your control. So you were you you couldn't have chosen something you didn't know. You couldn't have chosen something that didn't pop in your head just by coincidence. It just popped in there. And the one thing that you did choose was something that was triggered by things that you didn't choose. So that's that's kind of why I argue or why, why I argue why I think we have will. I think you had a will to choose Dallas, but I don't think it was free. Not to mention there's nothing that caused you uh, to be here right at the second, right? That was just random sperm and egg uh, fertilization, right? Or 
this planet could have never have been made. You know, asteroids flying through space causing the uh, time of bombardment might have never occurred. So the, this planet never moved close enough to the sun to be, be warm enough to have life on it. Or um, I could have just not been on this phone call and you wouldn't have had this conversation today. And then you wouldn't have thought of Dallas. It just wouldn't have been in there for, for, for the very reason of something I did, which you are not in control of. Right. So, I mean, I mean, we could just keep going and going and going at, 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 the, but the, 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 re, the response to that is your assumption is, is that you could not have chosen something else. And your response, like the whole response to what I chose, that was the only way that you could respond to that because even your response was predetermined. Yes. So if everything is predetermined, uh, Doug Wilson does this example of if you take a bottle of Mountain Dew and a bottle of Dr. Pepper mm-hmm. and you shake them up and you take the lids off, they just fizz because they interact with their environment. So even your response, like you would never say between the two soda bottles, which one is winning the debate. It doesn't matter. There is no truth there. They're just fizzing, right? right. And that's what determinism says. So even for somebody to use what seems like a logical example to make their point, with determinism, logic doesn't exist. That's just how your brain fizzes. And your response to what I said about Dallas was all predetermined too. So if it's predetermined, you lose truth. It doesn't exist in any form whatsoever. Even the argument, like you lose the tools in order to make the argument that determinism is true if you are a determinist. Does that make sense? Uh, it feels like it makes sense. But I don't I don't know that you would lose Because truth. you have free will. <laughs> <laughs> I, I so, can't see that that if something let's say something is inevitable that doesn't mean that you there isn't truth or that you can't make true statements about it you wouldn't you know? be able to know it though even if something the sky can come up and it's going to come up tomorrow and that could be a true statement but mm-hmm. if we are determinists our brains aren't capable it doesn't have the tools to declare such things a determinist plays on a different playing field than the person who mm. has free will I mean, wouldn't we still just be making decisions based off of the information that we're getting? Well, you your information is like run through your DNA, which is like your program. So somebody else could be in the same situation. They're going to respond differently. Just Well, that's the, how their DNA is programmed to respond. Mm-hmm. So the input doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the input would be. It, it's That's just the keys, the fingers on a keyboard, and mm-hmm. your body is the computer and your DNA is the program. So um, I don't think the input would really change how that plays out. Yeah, I don't I don't see that that's that that matters. I, 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 and I'm not trying to be no, like, no. like obtuse no. on, ter- on no, purpose. Course, I, no. So I really, yeah, I can't see that. Like if what's something that we know for sure? I don't know. So I've been I, I've just started getting into a little bit of uh free will stuff uh-huh. um i wouldn't even really venture to go down the road too much further because sure. until i like um i don't know how to classify myself exactly yet i i you know, do I think I i'm a either. free will liber you know i think i have libertarian free will when we say the word free i think my will is limited to my nature and uh that comes from a biblical standpoint not a scientific one saying that like a, a sinful nature that 
we're often prone to do bad things. We have to correct our children. So though we do have free will, it's often selfish and things like that. Plus, my will is limited by my ability. I can't create a cupcake without ingredients, right? Only God's right. capable to do that, to create ex nihilio. But um, when we first started talking, you were saying that hell was one of the reasons that really kind of took you out of the faith. And now that I've answered uh, and shown you that annihilation is an option, I would be glad to yeah. baptize you this Sunday, if you like. <laughs> well, that was that was the, the major catalyst, but... I, I fear I'm, I'm too far. I'm too far gone, Pastor. Yeah. Luke Skywalker says differently. There's still hope. Yeah. No. Um, you know, what was some of the other things? Like, so I, if I hell was one. Was, uh, when I was younger, I the first one that really I struggled with um, was being held accountable by God. Uh, I, uh, in my in my high school years, I kind of got into um, a little bit of like Shakespeare stuff, and then that led me to uh, um, Sophocles, and then that story of Oedipus Rex somehow led me to Freud because of the the Oedipus complex. You know, we all want to yeah. have sex with our mom and kill our dad or whatever, and and uh, the guy was a real pervert. Yeah, cheerful. Anyway, but, uh, real cheerful <laughs> <a> weirdo. <laughs> yeah, but. Um, I remember looking at that and, and the concept of the the subconscious, um, which is more Jungian. You know, he, he would Freud would have called it the unconscious, but still that that idea that you're making decisions or feeling things or thinking things right now based on some kind of lower uh, state of consciousness that you're not even aware of. Um, that really challenged me because I thought, well, hold on, if I'm not aware of it, how can I be held accountable for it? And then. That, that how could it then be sin if I didn't even know I was doing it or the thing that caused me to do it was from without, not from within. Um, that, that was one of my first challenges. Uh, obviously, you know, it's, um, maybe, maybe an immature understanding of it, but that was, that was the first yeah. time I started to doubt. I remember rock and roll. I, I really liked rock music and, <laughs> and they, they did, my parents did not. And, they had some uh, some youth pastor dude like sit down with me and talk to me about why it was wrong, and I played them. Um, oh, who was that song? It was uh, I want to say it was was it Crema Clapton uh, that did um, shoot the song escapes me. I don't want to bore you while you wait for me to remember it. But no, anyway, I'm trying to go through my repertoire here, and I don't. In the air tonight, Phil Collins. Okay, yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Sorry, wrong wrong yeah. guy. That's why I couldn't think of it. Um, and. and uh, how does it go? Something like be coming in the end of night. Hold on. Remember that part? Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. Every, yeah. The drum I love solo. That song, yes. man. And, uh, I played that song for him. I'm like, <laughs> like, how is this bad? Like, this is bad yeah. ass. It's not bad. You know? yeah. like, like, Come on, bro. And, uh, I remember he said, no, this song's about masturbation because it says coming in the end of the night. And I thought, Oh no, like not a joke. Like really? That's what he told me. And uh, he's like, no, you shouldn't listen to this stuff. It's all, it's all perverted. It's all sexual, and it's all about drugs. And he was mostly right, but still, I, I, I challenged with that one because it had drums in the Bible. I remember, and what was it like? Play your your timbers and your drums or something like that. Yeah. Tambors, I don't know. Weird word. But, yeah. So uh, I, yeah, I I can get that. Well, that's weird because I mean I have similar experiences, um, but it's not that would never be like a catalyst for me to go. This is all fake. I just go. 
that person's crazy. Right. So that's, I still, I people come up to me. Doubting yeah. The institution of it. Yeah. At least. And I think we, there's nothing religious or organized about organized religion, you know? Um, exactly. So I, I, I can understand all of that stuff, but I also, I can't make, Though I think I'm a skeptical person, like so, I, I was a big Nirvana, Pearl Jam, and as a pastor's kid, people were like, "You need to break your Nirvana CDs." And I would mm -hmm. go on like this mission trip, and they would all be like, "You need to get rid of that stuff. That's the devil's music." I'm like, "But y'all's music sucks. Like, there's not <laughs> anything good here." I'm trying to find stuff, and somebody gave me a list, and it's like, "If you like Metallica, try this." I was like, "That's not even Metallica light. That's just it's that's just bad." <laughs> music and i've always been kind of a music snob uh my brother used to slip me like um black sabbath and green jello nice. and uh henry rollins i was a big black flag guy and um so i just never fell into that camp but people still ask me for good christian music and i say bob dylan i'm like i don't i don't know <laughs> It's about I, as close as you can get to. Yeah, i don't know a lot like of Jesus. there's like two or three artists that i like cuz they're actually just good artists in the genre of music I like, which tends to be folk music, I I don't have much that speaks to me. But I would never go, okay, I'm doubting the institution. So it's a weird Yeah. It would be a weird leap for me to make. Yeah. Well it was th those were just my first first right. doubts, I guess. The the big one was obviously like I said, the the con the idea of him sending my daughter to hell, which I understand you don't you don't believe in that kind of hell. Um but it was after that I saw uh a hip bone on a whale. That one challenged me about whether or not chapter one and two of Genesis was supposed to be taken literally, at least. Um, I think, I think the way it's written that it's intended to be taken literally. And I think science disproves that. Why <laughs> so, do you think it's written in poetic form? So why would you assume that a poem is meant to be taken literally? Um, I don't know. It's just the way I read it. Yeah, you know, I mean, I could be wrong. So this is one of those instances where I think this is you should be able to ask these questions within the church. Did you ever feel like you could struggle with this stuff and ask these questions of people who actually might have known something they were talking about? Um, most of the at least at least the branch that I came from, um, they're they're going to challenge the the idea of evolution. Yeah. Or. or or Darwinism, as they'll call it, right? Because oh, it's Darwin is bad. It has to be an ism. But uh, um, yeah, that that was that was a big one for me. Um, but I'm guessing you kind of come from more of a that was over eons or something of time. I mean, I'm an old Earth creationist, whatever that means. Uh, yeah, I yeah. don't think the world's six thousand years old. Um, I don't think the early church fathers took Genesis literally. I don't think the Jewish people took it literally. I think there's this weird space in time, which was kind of maybe just a reaction, overreaction to Darwinism becoming popular, that um, here in the U.S. we've responded to certain things in a very poor way. And that group that makes up the evangelical group... Um, seems to respond basically on emotion and not mm -hmm. think through things very well. But I think um, there has always been and always will be a lot of room in healthy churches for people to have discussions on these things. And uh, 
I've never felt ashamed for saying, hey, I don't believe the earth is 6,000 years old. Now, if somebody says, well, we think it does, I'm like, kudos. Um, <laughs> I've read a bunch of books on that, and I just don't think the Bible says that. Yeah. I understand, where, yeah. Where, where's, where's, where do you think original sin came from then? Like, or, or is that story just like a metaphor of sex or something? Original sin, do I think there were, um, so when we, in, in theology terms, the idea of original sin has like a twofold meaning. So one, it's the belief that uh, there was this, the first people, Adam and Eve, and they lived in paradise, and then they fell, and that was, of course, the original sin. And then some people say like original sin means like a Calvinist would be that everybody is born mm -hmm. uh, with the punishment for Adam already on them. Like they're already guilty of sin um, because of that. So original sin is talked of in those two ones. When it comes to the first category, I, Adam and Eve, I don't think their names were Adam and Eve, right? I, I think right. those are, um, you know, Adam just means man. Right. It's just it's like a generic phrase. Uh, I do think they existed. I don't I'm not sure if there were these are things that I've kind of been kicking around in my head and reading a lot. So uh, people who are listening, don't be like, he's a heretic. I don't <laughs> think that uh, they were the only people at that time. I think it was a group that God took and he said, OK, these two, I'm going to begin this new work with these two and instill them with the soul that he breathed into them, gave them a soul because we see their kids marry people. As soon as they're outside of the garden, you're like, exactly. where all these other people come yeah. from. So I don't think those are forbidden questions to ask. And there's a, such a big difference and no one had told me this, but between popular level Christianity and scholarly Christianity, there's such this giant disconnect. It's like somebody who gets all their information from YouTube and then actually goes and reads a scholarly article on the subject. They're going to have a very different viewpoint. And uh, so I just, yeah. So I think for the most part, there's just been too much of a disconnect between the, the critical thinking of the history of Christianity and what gets expounded in the pulpit. We just seem to think people can't handle tough subjects. I don't know. The flood, that one was a challenge for me. How, how do you get, how it, I guess the, the way I'm kind of asking is, how no. is that not a challenge for you? <laughs> that's, a, that's a weird one. So there's going to be a lot of things that are oh, that are a challenge for me. Yeah. Um, my faith is not rested on the story of the flood. My faith is on the person Jesus Christ. And with anything, so like you believe there is no God, you're going to have subsets of belief that follow after that, that even you're like, I don't know, like determinism, right? You're like it feels sure. like I have free will, but I guess I don't. So my belief in Jesus helps me see things um, maybe from a different perspective. But also, if I look at how the way the Bible uses the phrase the world, it's talking about the world they knew at that time. Because it'll be mm -hmm. like the whole world. Well, all they knew was like this continent. They didn't know of anything else. So I give them a little bit of slack, and uh, I would think maybe either it's possible the flood was universal, but it's also possible that it was localized. I've heard good arguments on both sides, so I'm okay with a local flood. I'm, I guess I'm okay with a universal flood. A local flood seems to make a little bit more sense with the language, but I don't know. I'm undecided. Hmm. So on, on things like that, you would say it wouldn't really matter either way um, because 
you believe in Jesus Christ, death, right. burial, and resurrection. That's kind of yeah. what, what's holding you all together there. But yeah, it's what's what we call the foundation. We don't build off the flood. We build off of Jesus. That's that's our starting ground. If he didn't rise, then I wouldn't even care about the rest of the stuff. Um, virgin birth, walking on water, water to wine, healing the sick. Uh, those those would be things that would be challenging to me if I was only looking at the gospel, you know, and not not picking apart slavery in the Old Testament or you know whatever whatever version of or interpretation of that you might have, or Jonah and the whale, you know, things like that. But if I, if I was just looking at the gospel, I would say even that part of the story uh, would be would be difficult for me to get past. Um, the, the idea that, like, he, he took demons out of a guy, legion, and put them into pigs or something like that, like that. It's, yeah. it's it, no offense to, to you or your God, but to, I mean, to me, that is just, it is just ridiculous. Uh, and that, and and then, but do you know why? You, has anyone ever told you why he did that? No. Do you think I'd, it's just like a know. cheap parlor trick? Like, oh, here's some pigs. So the area, I, the area that he's in, they had a god that they worshipped, and they had a specific sacrifice that was for the cleansings of sins. Hmm. And so here's a man surrounded by all these pigs, who is unclean. They've tried everything to help him get better, but he's not. He's a man possessed, a wild man, right? And so he's surrounded by these pigs, which are supposed to be the only thing you got to do to like free this man from evil spirits is kill a pig. So there's a sense of irony that you have this unclean person surrounded by these pigs. And so it's kind of Jesus mocking their false god. It's like, like I'm going to make this man clean, and then I'm going to kill all your pigs at the same time to show you how worthless your little pig sacrifice is, right? Hmm. So it's, that's what I'm talking about, like surface level. That's YouTube stuff. That's YouTube atheism. And yeah. uh, YouTube is responsible for a lot of atheists because you can go, look at this stupid thing. You just, what kind of stupid magic trick is that? I'm like, well, how did they understand it? And why, when Jesus would go to other towns after that, they're like, we don't want Jesus here. We heard about the pigs. <laughs> you know, we, he, he destroys our entire religious system. Uh, we, these people made money um, on telling, I mean, they're basically televangelists. Hey, give us money. We'll give you a pig and you can sacrifice it and be free from your sickness or whatever. So I, I think it's got deeper levels than sometimes we get at first glance. That's fair. It still yeah. seems silly, but sure. <laughs> but I'm with you. It's, there's there's look, more of to course, the story. Yeah. Sure. Miracles always will look strange, um, but I would argue they look less strange than atheism. Less strange yeah. than determinism. Have you ever asked your kid, hey, do you want to go to the zoo or the park? And they go to the park. Wait, no, the zoo. So how does that mm. work? If, if determinism was true, then why would we second-guess ourselves? If our brains just, well, that's just what their DNA would tell them to do. I don't understand why second-guessing would be a thing. If we are determined, then things would be automatic. They would just be like, well, you said Dallas because of these things. But I could have said yeah. something else. And children often do, and sometimes we do. I go, well, I think this. Oh, wait, no, I think that. Why? Because we thought about it. Because we considered it. We weighed our options. You've considered yeah. how you're going to respond. There's a process going on in your brain and it's not autonomous. You're not, 
um, a robot responding. And I, yeah, I don't. I, that, I would agree with you. I, I think that would be preposterous. Um, so pigs but that's, with that's me. That's not really what yeah, I think of. Yeah, yeah. Like like whenever you, whenever you're changing your mind about something, I, I think we still think, um, and we still make choices. Uh, I just don't think we could have done anything else. So, um, at that moment that you're thinking, do I want to go to, I don't remember your examples, but Parker's zoo, maybe I think is what it was, but, but as soon as they think zoo and then they remember that horrible experience they had last time when they couldn't find a bathroom in time or something, they're like, no, you know, I changed my mind park. Um, there's, I can't remember the argument well enough to, uh, shoplift it for my own, but there was, um, there was some experiment that was done to kind of show determinism and they showed there was, Oh yeah. They showed there was a different chemical response when somebody decided not to do something short, long story short, it seems like science has disproven determinism and not proven it. And only, yeah, there were, there was a couple experiments that gained a lot of popularity and I'm just, I'm I'm shooting off the cuff here, so don't shoot me for it later. Oh, sure. Um, There was a thing that Dawkins... I would love to believe in free will, so uh, I will check it out. There was an experiment that Dawkins and Sam Harris quoted, and I just heard some other neurologists go like, everybody's debunked this thing. Nobody feels this way. Like, this would put them on the fringe now uh, because it's very antiquated. Mm. And that we actually see that there is something besides, you know just what they say is going on, that there would actually be free will. I'll have to look that up and see if I can throw it to you. I, I remember the on. one that they're referencing the study. Um, and I, I did hear that, uh, that, that has since been, been debunked. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't know, you know, I'm kind of like you on this one where I don't know who to believe or what, but, but I do remember the, 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 the study was that they would, uh, have somebody, uh, choose to push a button at a certain time, right. but they could see in their brain that they actually chose to do it before they actually thought that they chose to do it. That yeah. it, it already made the decision in their head um, long before that moment that they. Yeah, chose that's to the push experiment the they were saying was debunked. Yeah. yeah. So when it so comes it, when it comes to neuroscience, you and I are both crawling around in the dark, sure, blind. Sure. So um, <laughs> like, I don't want to pretend like. Well, I just read this paper on neurology. Um, what? Well, let me ask. Yeah, challenge. go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I, we were moving from free will. I, I was yeah. going to ask you one more thing about sure. it, but, but we can move on. Okay. Well, I was just going to say, this is a maybe a popular question, but you seem to be unhappy in atheism in some ways, in some respects, certain tenets mm-hmm. of that faith. Um, what would it take? What is it that you like would need for you to all of a sudden you go, you know what, maybe I need to just take a second look at this person of history, Jesus. Yeah. Um, that's the same question. Eric Hernandez asked me that episode will come out, um, this weekend. Uh, but, and I, I quickly answered with that typical, I don't know, but God does and he hasn't given it to me yet. So it's really his fault. You know, that that little snappy little, Atheist comeback, you know, the zinger. Yeah, gotcha, Christian. Um, and and uh, he he said, you know, you didn't really answer my question, did you? And I just kind of paused for a minute. I'm like, 
No, I didn't. I'll tell you what. I don't know. Is it, that is an honest point? Yeah. And, and I, I, I'd say the same thing to you. Just, just in all honesty, it would have to be. It wouldn't be one thing. It'd have to be over a lifetime of just different things occurring and and seeing certain themes, uh, having things kind of confirmed over and over and over. Um, I think if uh, if if I saw a miracle, I would be more likely to believe that I was mistaken rather than yeah, physics I don't change. I think like miracles me, you know? are all that useful in today's culture. That's fair. Uh, if if I if I had someone speak to me in my head, you know, um, I'd probably go and see somebody about it. Yeah. Um, I'd probably get my family far away from me and say, I got voices in my yeah. head. I'm, I'm not a responsible person. Um, if, if I saw that the Bible was accurate about particular things, I would probably just think, there's an explanation for that. That's a natural explanation or the person that wrote it probably already knew that that thing happened at that certain time. So they wrote it after it happened or, you know, things like that. Like, I don't know how I could become a Christian again, or, you know, you might argue I never was one, but I know, I know I believed I was, I know I really did have faith, uh, in Jesus, at least that much. I I might've been of of the, the wrong denomination or what have you but i know i really i really did believe and i know i really don't now i can't imagine how i could get back it's it's the same thing for for my kids i i work with a lot of mormons at my at my day job and uh they'll ask me that like well what about what about your kids what about your kids you know are, would aren't you worried that they, they you know they're not gonna uh have the right faith or, or not gonna believe something I'm like well no you know i'm an atheist so why why would I be worried about that? They're like, yeah, but what if they what if they accepted Jesus later? And I said they they won't. And you know they're they're always shocked by my answer by certainty. I'm like no, they're invulnerable. You have to get infected with this concept between five and fifteen. That's like the magic numbers. That if if you hear about it later when you're an adult, and and you haven't been taught all these stories like Jonah and, and the whale and Jesus and these kind of things, then you're, you're completely invulnerable to that religion in the same way that, you know, you hear about Scientology, you just laugh. You're like, what? They, they froze spirits and dropped them in a, a volcano in Hawaii. And, and the, somehow those spirits then went into monkeys or something. Like, this is crazy. Are you nuts? Well, yeah, but you wouldn't think so if I told you when you were five and you were raised with it, you know, so that, my kids would look at you like you're nuts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, um, see, I don't know. I, it's, it's interesting because then it, like, uh, I almost hear this, um, like you go real skeptical real fast. Like you're like, mm. unless you're indoctrinated between five and 15, you would never believe this stuff. I'm like, there's millions of adults who would disagree, who hear it for the first time and are like, I need to dig deeper and I don't, you know, I shoot, I don't know what your faith was like. I don't know you. Um, so I don't not want to make judgment calls on that stuff, but we've kind of got to know each other. We're getting well. there. We're getting there. And uh, you're right. I mean, missionary work, obviously that that's a thing. Um, 
But, but like, are we, yeah, aren't they right. referencing something that person already believes, though? Like, to some extent, like, like if you're going to, uh, you know, convert somebody in Guatemala, you know, that they, they already grew up around Catholicism to some extent. Or even if you were going to go visit somebody that somehow didn't have any concept of any Western religion at all. The last pa- person, the last person I baptized, I think it was the last person I baptized. Maybe there was somebody. No, it was two before that. Um, did not grow up in a Christian home. Knew nothing about Jesus. Knew nothing about God. Didn't believe any of that stuff. Never heard a single story from the Bible. The high schoolers that have been showing up here lately, uh, at least last year. Who was this year, person? Like, a, uh, dude, it, in the, I'm in the Bible Belt. I'm in the Bible Belt, and they don't know who Jesus is. Come on, that's middle impossible. schoolers. No, dude, I'm telling you, I'm telling they you. They celebrate Christmas every year. They know the story. Uh, one, yeah, I, I asked a guy. I said, "What do you know about Jesus?" He says, uh, "I think his mom put him in a basket when he was a baby, or something." <laughs> and I didn't have the heart to be like, "That's Moses," but I mean, that was it. I asked a, I asked us uh, eighth grader. I said, um, "Do you know John three sixteen? And they go, "No," and so I, I showed him that verse. They never heard it before. They don't know what the cross is. Mm-hmm. They don't. So we're at that point where, yeah, maybe like, so my dad has a saying that the first generation believes, the second generation assumes, the third generation rejects, and the fourth generation denies uh, it even exists, right? So like um, my dad had a very strong, fervent belief, and he was kind of first generation as family. And then so I just assume I'm a Christian. But if something like hell, instead of going, well, how have other people viewed this? Is there a way... Or is this the only way to see this? And, mm. and your thought was, if hell is eternal, I'm leaving the faith. But no one has said, well, you know, there's other views. There's yeah. other people throughout history have thought differently about this. Just because at this point in time, in fact, what's interesting is annihilationism used to be the predominant view. That's what most people thought. And there's weird seasons and times of all things where uh, like right now, the big view on end times is doesn't come from the Bible. It comes from popular Christian books like Left Behind and stuff. <laughs> that's where people get their views from. and But that's going to dominate the culture for another 30 years, and then something else will dominate. Yeah, and, where do they get the clothing falling thing? Is that yeah. is that biblical at all? <laughs> I don't. Uh, I think there is some verse. I don't know. Uh, I don't believe in a rapture like that. Um, so, yeah. It I would don't know. be awesome, though. Uh, for us, yeah, for the rest of you <laughs> For uh, you guys? Yeah. It'd be cool uh, for us, too, because we'd get rid of all you religious folks. Right, I know. <laughs> Which, you know, I, I say that tongue-in-cheek, obviously, but you just leave me with a bunch of atheists that might be pretty miserable because we often don't get along with each other too well. Yeah, I would say uh, we're seeing the ramifications of progressive uh, non-theistic culture absolutely destroy a whole lot of things on one side. And we're also mm-hmm. seeing fundamentalist Christian evangelical culture destroy a lot of things on the other side. So, um, yeah. I, my... What do you think will happen? I know you don't have your, your crystal ball, but where do you see at least the U.S. heading? Do you think we're just going to eventually it's, it's going to be all lesbians and Black Lives Matter run amok or something? <laughs> uh, man. Um I'm torn because I'm a post-millennial, which means I believe the world's going to get better. Uh, but sometimes Rome needs to fall first. And so we're kind of right on track. 
for some bad stuff. I think we've lost, we no longer have any kind of moral common ground to even discuss things. Mm -hmm. uh, one side is like, let's give eight-year-old transgender kids hormones and chop off their private parts because that's how they feel right now and we have to honor that, which is a result of postmodern nihilism, which I think is where much of atheism, like there's this, there's a reason so many atheists are your age, right? Like, and a little bit older. But this next yeah. generation, they're not really into it. Like, you're just this, you're this blip. And evangelicals are this blip. And I just don't want to be sucked into any kind of cultural movement that I wasn't aware of. I, I don't want my presuppositions to determine too much about me. So I'm trying really hard to get around them. I mean, it's yeah. hard. It's hard because evangelical culture is what I've known for most of my life. And there's a fear. There is a sort of fear of being like, man, I, Jesus, I believe him. God, I believe him. The Bible, I believe it. But I think y'all got hell wrong. I think y'all got culture wrong. I think y'all got politics wrong. And all of a sudden, now I'm an enemy uh, in the building. So um, <laughs> I don't know what's, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen next. I'm along for the ride. I have contentment. God is good. My kids are all right. So um, I don't know. Try not to stress about it too much. That sounds like a, a pretty good way to go if you got to go that route. Seems like you found a, at least the the best version of Man, that. Man, that's I, my my church told me to take a Sunday off last Sunday because I I try really hard to be plugged into culture and politics, and I I read a <laughs> book on culture every single month, critical theory and all that stuff. Like I'm trying to really know that stuff, and they could just tell I was burnt out when Trump yeah. got COVID, and I was like, oh crap, what's going to happen? Like this world's just going nuts and they're like take a week off stop reading all that stuff <laughs> it is so toxic right it now is, it is, is amazing how i it, it my, my sister just sent me a video recently of uh biden apparently pinching some eight-year-old girl's nipple uh, you know you look at it and you can tell the the hand part of the video is fake oh, you know no. but it was it, you know he's still a creep though it's mm -hmm. not hard to it's not hard to believe that he might but still you know it was just she was so worked up about it. And I thought, man, this is everybody, everybody at work, everybody, you know, whether you're left or right, everybody's freaking out. Everybody on the left is fighting amongst themselves. You're, you're watching us just tear each other apart. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's not going to get better. It's that pendulum's just going to keep swinging and swinging until something crazy goes down. I think I people know. only have, I think they have an appetite for anger that only lasts so long. I think anger burns itself out. Um, I hope I hope you're right. I think there I think there will come a correction. I think religion will pray. I'm not talking about a giant revival, but I think people will begin to, as they think through. I think they'll head back towards some Christian morality. At least I think people will get back to where they say that, like morality has absolutes, and things like logic and reason are like there's laws that are absolute and they're not just these predetermined make it up as you go along humanist mm -hmm. philosophy stuff i i think that stuff just just by its nature will burn itself out you can't live that way very long yeah i, I don't think that's a very common I, I don't i don't see that as common as i think you do i think that's more of a fringe thing um um i i, I think i do think it's a, a fringe thing and i think most people would never most people never would say oh i'm i have postmodern beliefs I do think there tends to be underlying philosophies that 
affect large numbers of people without them knowing it. And we, so I think in like academics, um, you're going to have a very different view of the world if you come out of a school that teaches kind of traditional academics, or if you go to a uh, what's what university is it that is no longer calling it the English department because they don't want to be associated? <laughs> I mean, like, really? but they're cranking out student after student and we've told everybody they got to go to college and that's what they learned. And then they go off to the business and we think, oh, they'll stop this whole postmodern. No, it's just they get there. Now they're demanding all sorts of crazy stuff or they're going to burn everything down. And that happens on both sides. But yeah. Peterson gave postmodernism a bad rap, I feel like, because everybody hates it now. And I feel like if if you if you look at it without all the like by just focusing on the the errors that that line of thinking could lead to. But like it, it also had some cool stuff like like uh, rejecting binary thought, not necessarily the the two genders, you know, but but. You know, that's kind of where it leads, and then it's like, oh, okay, well, the the whole, you know, now you're supporting trans people, and, and you can change your gender whenever you want. Why don't you become a helicopter tomorrow? And, you know, that's kind of like the theme that, <laughs> yeah. that I noticed a lot of folks from the right kind of look at that with. But but the the real concept of it is it was just that everything we say is always binary. It's it's ama- It was an amazing idea. Like, even if I say the chair is in the room, you're like, there's one room, it's one chair. How is that binary? Because by saying the chair is in the room, it's it's contrasting it with there not being a chair in the room, you know, like it, it, right there. There's two things like everything we do is like it started with art. Of... You know, I was, I'm reading this interesting book called Cynical Theory, and it's written by a Harvard mathematician and uh, another lady whose name I forget. Uh, if my headphones were longer, I could reach over there and grab it. But mm-hmm. um, they trace kind of this history and they're liberals. I mean, they're not they're not conservatives at all. But they trace the history of postmodernism, and uh, which I'd heard long before that it started in the art world, where mm-hmm. kind of like I'm gonna, you know, uh, Basquiat. Uh, I never say his name right. Basquiat. Basquiat. Uh, yeah, that guy. Or I'm just gonna splatter paint everywhere, but then I'm gonna tell you what it means, and I'm mm-hmm. gonna give it its own meaning, and people are like, oh, "Wow!" <laughs> right? And so no longer are people actually able to paint things that are beautiful. They paint whatever they want, and then they tell us it's beautiful. Now we have to believe them. Even I'm going, that art sucks. Um, I'm not allowed to say that because they <laughs> you, told me it's beautiful. So You don't think maybe you just don't get it? Yeah, yeah like, that's like, the don't trick. Get me wrong. That's, you and I are on the same – we're on the same yeah, team here where yeah. we look at Basquiat's work. Now, some of his stuff. Uh, what cool was that looking, one? With the, yeah, I mean, like the, of... It was like a skeleton uh, uh, like cow and like a skeleton rider on it. I thought that one was kind of cool, but it's just cool. It's not like – you know, like you're saying, oh, my God, you know, I'm with you. Yeah. But there just but, seems to be like this intellectual snobbery where people who wanted to pretend like they got it, even though they didn't like, oh, I'll pay yes. five million for that. And <laughs> then they're they try to apply that to other things. And then like, well, they're rich and they believe it. Maybe I should act like I don't know. I think stupidity trickles down. Um, you know who, uh, who who actually like funded that dude? Because he, he was just another one of those artists that like uh, um, like Van Gogh, like where. You would have never known him except somebody just paid for everything for him because he, you know, he couldn't get a job. Yeah. But um, he was, uh, uh, it was that weird dude, that real <laughs> pedo esque kind of um, guy that did the the soup can art. Andy Warhol. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. 
that's that's who funded everything. Yeah. So Basquiat's just walking through the street and sees Andy Warhol in this restaurant, goes in there and hands him like a, a postcard. He used to like color his art on these postcards and, uh, and, and hands it to him to sell it to him. And uh, Warhol was like, oh, my God, this guy is going to make me millions. Yeah. But I'm with you. It's crappy art, in my opinion. But Warhol, I, I just I Warhol is responsible for my favorite crappy art. Um, he he funded a band called the Velvet Underground that Lou Reed was the lead singer of. And really? Yes. Have you ever heard of them? Mm-mm. Yeah. When I ever since I was a kid, Lou Reed was my favorite. Uh, the Velvet Underground. You have to check them I've out. I've heard of Lou Reed. Yeah. But... He had a band called the Velvet Underground, started by uh, Andy Warhol, and so they were. He was all a part of that kind of factory. That's crazy. I've got books on Andy Warhol in my life. I've that kind of I was always fascinated by that. But um I mean maybe it's like oysters or caviar or, or you know, scotch or wine. Just probably, yeah, we're yeah. you maybe just we just it's don't expensive. Have a taste. Yeah, maybe maybe we got beer taste and we're just not fancy enough. <laughs> maybe I don't know, man. I, well, I honestly I, I gotta agree with you though. Robert, I'm gonna wrap it up. I really enjoyed our conversation, man. Uh, it was great talking to you, and I was just curious to hear what it was yeah. that caused you to leave. And it's always uh, fun talking to you. And I'm glad you didn't yeah. paint me with the wrong brush. Right? Yeah. A well, little, little uh, pun there. And if if you choose to, you can end the conversation by clicking. You have that free choice. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I can't. I choose to do the same. No, I do. But uh, uh, appreciate it, man. And absolutely. we'll talk to you soon. Sure thing. Uh, and, and just to let anybody know, if anybody wants to uh, check out the podcast, I can just go to the righttoreason.com. That's got all the best, best portal for any of that stuff. There you go. All right, Caleb. Thanks, man.